This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everyone. You will notice throughout the Shabbaton, I hope you come to, uh, to my different shurim throughout, you'll notice throughout the Shabbaton that I speak in a, a different way than most people. Um, first of all, you hear my English is different, that's for sure. Uh, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, where people actually speak English. And... Um, and the, but my, my English comes from uh, West Los Angeles. I w- was not raised observant. And when I turned 23 years old, after university, I showed up in Yerushalayim. And uh, I lived in the Yeshiva Derech for three years. And then, uh, uh, then at 26, I became Hasidisha. I got married. And uh, people wonder why I became Hasidisha. When I was, you know, perfectly from, you know, mensch and learning Tarev all day and keeping mitzvahs, people ask, why did you become Hasidisha? So I was afraid some of you might ask, so I'm trying to save it by just telling you now. So I'll just tell everyone at once and then no one has to ask. And the answer is I was simply bored. <laughs> Hasidim have more fun. That's it. We get together. We, uh, we spend time together. I mean, just... What you can do in a coffee tea room in the average shtibel for two hours just doesn't exist in the yeshivish community. <laughs> but it's, re- it's really been a great time, and uh, my family's very happy. I think my family dances every day. If not every day, we probably dance as a family in, in the house, in our dining room. We probably dance at least five times a week in our house. There's always, it's always dancing, it's always singing, and it's always celebrating Yiddishkeit. Our sukkah holds, uh, seating comfortably 70 people, but there are nights where it hits 80 and 90 on sukkahs. And uh, I light Hanukkah licht for some, uh, the most I ever lit for was 2,000 people, um, 50 buses, uh, sorry, 80 buses from the top of Bitsalo near King George. The, there were buses from the top all the way down to Gan Saker. Uh, 2,000 people were at my licht. And, uh, and this, uh, this coming next week, Hanukkah, the, uh, will be, this time we've, we've added more. And this is for my wife, like, not me. I light the Hanukkah licht, then I go in my house, and I pour an ice-cold beer, and I stare at my licht for the next half hour. My wife this year is making a Hanukkah festival that all these secular groups that come to watch the lighting are then going to go to for a whole festival to learn learn about the about Hanukkah. But you'll hear I'll speak not just differently because of my upbringing, but I'll speak differently because I generally like to speak from the core of things. I like to talk about the core stuff. You can hear lots of great advice. But if you're not in touch with the core stuff, so then sometimes the advice, it was good advice, but it was really, in the end, it was just more information. And then we find it hard to apply. So what I like to do is I like to speak from the core of what's really going on. So let's get right down to it. Before Hashem created the world, He existed in undifferentiated oneness. There was just undifferentiated oneness, absolute oneness. It's not just that there's one of God. They teach in elementary school for children that, that monotheism means that there's one God. But nowhere in our entire Torah, from the beginning till all the way through Tanakh, does it ever say there's one God. 
It says that God is one. It's an undifferentiated oneness. It just is one. It is one. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. Vehu Echad Ve'en Sheni. He is one. There is nothing else. And for whatever reason, and we don't understand why, and we've never, no one's ever written about it, whatever reason, God decided to create the world other. So you have one, and now you have other, a world. The spitz of that world, the point of all that world, was for human beings. Because human beings could be bocher, could choose to have a connection back to the one. Now, I don't know what Hashem was thinking. Because if you look at most people, it doesn't go very well. I mean, if you just look at the history, it starts with Adam and Chava. They're already eating from the fruit. goes right to, you know, you get right to the door of Noach. It's not going very well. It gets right to the, the Tower of Babel, the door of Floga. It just doesn't go very well until you're finally in the door of Terach. And we're right, we're right back to the door of Noach by the time we're by the door of Terach. It's the same thing. Had he not put the rainbow in the sky, he would have wiped the place out in the age of Terach. But Hashem promised. And therefore, Am Yisrael begins. The world exists. There was no world. There was only undifferentiated oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of Hashem. And he created other. If you think about it, you started your life for the first nine months minus 40 days. But for nine months minus those 40 days, you spent your existence and you were fully conscious. A fetus is fully conscious from the 40th day. Once the is in, it's conscious. It doesn't have any das. It doesn't know where it is. It doesn't know what's going on. But you spent the first nine months of your life in the undifferentiated oneness of your mother's womb. <coughs> and this is the key of creation. And this is Hashem's guarantee that a human being from the time he or she is born and now separate from that oneness that he or she will seek for the rest of their life to reconnect. It is the deepest need and the deepest desire of all people and it's called Hiskashrus. Hiskashrus. Hiskarvus. Ahava. After the war, the orphanages filled up with, with children, babies, older children, every age children, but lots of little toddlers. The orphanages filled up with children. They had to bring beds from all over, blankets from all over. It was a humanitarian crisis just in children after the war, in these orphanages. And they noticed that some of the 
the children, especially the younger ones, two years, one years, down to little tiny kids, were dying, getting sick and dying. And no matter what they tried, they couldn't stop it. It wasn't they were keeping them clean, they were, it was sanitary, they were taking care of them, getting sick and dying, mysteriously. Eventually, some of the people in the staffs noticed that, that the ones that were dying were the babies and the little children that, children that were very quiet. And it was only the ones that were making noise, were crying, that were living. And they couldn't figure it out. How come the ones crying are living and the ones that are quiet are dying? Until they finally took these children and realized it's the ones that are crying that are being held. It's the ones that are being held that are staying alive. It's the loving closeness of human contact. His carvus. His cautious. And they called people from all over to come and just hold the babies. Come and hold the babies. And the babies stopped dying. When word got out in Russia about this, they actually duplicated this in an in experiment. They hooked babies up to machines that fed them and worked their muscles and kept them warm and just no human contact. And within a month, the babies in a perfectly sealed environment with zero germs were getting sick and dying. And they lost a few babies and they had to take the rest of them off the machines. And they learned something very powerful after the war regarding these babies. What they learned was more important than food, more important than water, more important than clothing, more important than shelter. More important than anything you can give or receive is loving closeness, his kashus. Every child is born and separate now from their mother, and their deepest desire is to reconnect. And Hashem set it up perfectly because, hey, there's a lot of people to connect to. There's a mommy, there's a tati, there's brothers, there's sisters, there's zaydis and bubbies. And... It sounds perfect, but it's not perfect because in order for those children to grow up in a connected environment, The family has to be healthy. The parents have to be healthy. Even the bubbies and zadies have to be healthy. If you can, uh, since you're by the door, excuse me, since you're by the door, if you can uh, handle the slamming each time, not, uh, I mean, as best as you can. I've, has to be healthy. The child is born like it's come out of a cocoon. 
and it's now like a butterfly, a beautiful monarch butterfly with all the colors. And it's flapping its wings. But the most important part of a butterfly is these two antennas. These two antennas, which are all about connection. It has these two antennas to guide it. But sadly, everything has to go right. For those antennas to stay, these healthy antennas. But when things don't go right, it's almost like a cigarette lighter in a car, you know, that little push-in cigarette lighter, singes the antenna. Obviously, the most dangerous singeing would come from parents if the parents don't understand his kashras. If the parents don't know how to connect, then that's going to cause the worst. But it happens not just at home, but it happens in school. It happens with, with bullying in school. The kid can try to read. When it's his turn to read in cheder or in school and do a bad job and the class laughs and even looks up and sees even the Rebbe's laughing. Singes the antennas. The world doesn't seem so safe. Does the need, that basic need, for his kashras go away just because the world's now dangerous for it? No. The world's just, the, the child needs just as much, if not more. Only the child's decided now, I'm going to survive without it. I'll pretend that Ahava, his kashras, his karvas is not my main priority. I'll be good at something else. And one of the main, most popular of all the things that children decide they're going to be good at, well, not what they're going to be good at, but one of the main, most popular moves that kids make is instead of love and closeness, they're going to go for its counterfeit. The falschegelt of his kashus. There's actually a counterfeit for loving connection. And that counterfeit is attention. If you can consider any time that his kashus didn't work out for you, any time it was too dangerous to truly have real his kashus. Ever since then, if you look at your life, you'll see it's been much more about attention how to draw attention, or how to at least look good. Make sure everyone all together turns their phones off starting now. One, two, three. Turn your phones off. Okay, we've already had like six rings already. Baruch Hashem, Shabbos is coming. Now in order to have his kashas, 
in order to have connection with people, I hate to say it, but there's you got to have something else. You know what you have to have? You have to have an I. You have to have a point of reference called yourself. And I don't mean uh, the... I'm not talking about the Hasidic word of nishtich, meaning the, the... We're not talking about humility, I. Not that. And the nishtich means that, that there's only a shem, there's no me. That's, the, that's an union of anava. I'm not talking about the nishtich. I'm talking about the ich that says nishtich, meaning you have to have an eye. I mean, if you think about the words in English, I love you. If you think about the words in English, I love you, you realize that you've got to first have an I to say the words. You can't say I love you if there is no I. I once ran a possible use seminar in Borough Park, and I asked the men, you know, it was all married men, this particular group, and they were all in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and I asked them, when was the last time any of you said I love you to your wife? They all looked at me surprised. It was the beginning of the seminar. They weren't expecting this. Finally, one of them raised his hands. He says, 10 years ago. And the, the men were impressed. They were like, not bad. He, turns out he was the most recent. And you're ready for the big punchline. He says, but Rabbi... Do you know what I said to her? What kind of question? I already asked what you said. He says, I said, you are loved. It wasn't I love you. It was you are loved. I had the, uh, <laughs> the schus, but the very painful uh, job of of uh, running a mini possible use seminar for some very, very big Talmudai Chachamim. Very, very big Talmudai Chachamim. In fact, uh, myself and Michi uh, Shpir, who's Shpir is one of the uh, leaders of the Karim Shabbaton, he was my translator. It was all in Yiddish. I spoke English every line, and he spoke, I said English, he said Yiddish. I spoke English, he said Yiddish. And we were the only two people who didn't have white beards in the room. 17 very hush of We go for about an hour, and I realize we're not getting anywhere here. And go for another hour, nothing. I finally realized, me and Mechi, we pulled aside and we said, I think the issue here is there's, there's no I. There's no I. So I said, okay, I'll work on this. We're going to get an I. So I said, please, someone, Hashem, uh, please help me. Uh, did any of you ever go through something difficult? Did any of you ever suffer through something? I mean, figure if he suffered through something, there's some kind of eye in there that suffered. So one of them said, okay, what happened? So he said he lost his father when he was 12 years old. So then I was like, okay. So then I was like, and this one spoke a little English, so I was like, so what did you say? What did you say? You know, like inside. What did you say? He says, and he looks up at me like a kid in Cheder, doesn't know the answer. He says to me, I said, Kaddish. (laughs) 
I said, no. What'd you say inside? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And then he really looked like a kid in the cheder who didn't know the answer, and he was like, And then he reached down and he picked up a sandwich. You know those triangular sandwich packs? And he holds it up to me. And he says, this is who I am. And I look over at Mechi, I say, he's a sandwich. (laughs) And Mechi whispers to me, that's his name on the sandwich. He's the Rav Amachshi of the sandwich. <laughs> we are the door. I know they say the door after the war was the door of miracles, but when you look at the Frum Oilam today, you walk down the street in Shabbos and Bar Park and Flatbush and Muncie, and they, we're a miracle. We are a miracle. We literally like walked up and out of the ashes of the war and recreated B'nai Terra in massive numbers. Physically, Baruch Hashem, we're doing great. However, emotionally, emotionally, it is time to heal. It's time to heal. One of the greatest authors who suffered un- unbearable suffering in the war. A miracle he's alive. Like everyone else, miracle he's alive. But he was a renowned psychologist before the war. He's a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. And he wrote one of the greatest books on the Holocaust. And he said in that book that the suffering was so bad at times that he started to notice when people were really, really like dropping like flies, literally every day, dropping. He said the difference between those who dropped and those who survived at a certain point when it got really, really bad was those who kept their identity dropped. Those who kept their humanity and their identity dropped, they died. But those who could just have their identity disappear and just get through the war as as a yid and nothing else. A yid. He might have made it. Might. He would need Nisim, but he could make it. But staying human, meaning staying alive from it with a a personal perspective, a point, a nekudis atzmi, a point of reference of yourself. It was a big challenge. And when people came from there, and there was not a real ich, there was just the survival of our Yiddishkeit. So Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, they were able to create the world that we have inherited a beautiful Yiddish world all across the planet from Stanford Hill to 
all the Kiryas in Yerushalayim, Brooklyn. It's miracles. But it's time to heal. When a child is in the womb, I have a little possibly use seminar medrash that I made up about when parents are pregnant with a child. It's that the parents, they, when they're sleeping the night, you know, they find out that they're you know, going to have a child. and They, they go to sleep that night and, and they go up in a dream and an angel comes to them and says, I see you are with child. Parents are like, Baruch Hashem. And the, and the angel says, you know, it's been determined in heaven that in order for a child to grow up with well-being, I've heard the term well-being, well-being, like being, being well but inside. Well-being is within. It's, it's, there's being well, like healthy, external, but then there's your emotional well-being. For a child to have emotional well-being, he or she must have an address in the physical world, must have an address where he or she is loved no matter what. Ahava she'eno t'lui b'dava. And the parents are like, yes, we agree. And then the angel said, well, we thought up here in heaven that that address should be your address. And the parents are like, naturally, I mean, it's our child, that our address. And then the angel says, sign. He gives them the pen. They don't understand. It's the most natural thing in the world, Kids should be loved unconditionally in our address. The parents sign. And then it must be the same angel that touches the baby right here because I think the angel touches the parents there too. (laughs) And they just push and forget. But it is very, very dangerous for our children. For our children to ever have. It's not a thought they'll have here. It's a thought they'll have here. But the second they have the thought that more important to the parents, to their parents, is how the family looks to the community. That that's more important than the child's well-being that creates if a child ever feels that way and it's very easy to feel that way without anything even happening it's just something about the way the parents look around a bit when they walk down the street with the kids that their attention's a little more on the people than it is on their own, their own children and how we look and a little bit about getting ready right before Shabbos that it's got to be just right before we go out When the kids start seeing that kind of emphasis, it creates 
a little shamir worm, you know, those are the ones that eat through stone. The shamir worm eats from the, uh, the, the choishin, the stones in the breastplate. A little shamir worm in the heart of the child. It can eat through stone. You should see what it does to a heart, the shamir worm. And it creates a very painful place inside the heart of the child. And what I'd like to teach you right now is one of the most important distinctions. And it's a little taste of the Passover seminar. You should know this entire Shabbaton is, is being presented by graduates of the Passover seminar. It is a very courageous thing they're doing. But the results of someone who does the Passover seminar is that they're able to really think about things that are important. And instead of say, oh, someone should do it, you do it. This whole, we're all here right now because there are people and their wives are also graduates of the Passover Seminar. And I suggest you go up and talk to them a little bit. I know they'll be busy, but go meet them. And just watch the way they connect. All they did, they sp- we spent 24 hours together throughout a week. Just go watch the way they connect. Have a competition, seriously. Don't tell them I said this. Have a competition with them to see who can stare at the eyes longer just while you're talking. They won't know what you're doing. But you'll see that they'll win. They'll stay engaged longer than you can. Because they've done this training. The training of finding the eye and having this hiskashas. One of the secrets that we have in the possible you is what I'm going to teach you right now. And that is the distinction, the avchana, between acceptance and approval. Acceptance and approval. If I had a whiteboard, I would draw a circle here, acceptance, and then I would have it intersect with a circle here that would say approval. But they would be intersecting because we blur acceptance with approval. We blur it. Let me define them. Acceptance means, and again, this is a possible you definition, but acceptance means that if I live their life, that would be me. I'm going to say that again. If I live their life, that would be me. I mean, think about it. Why am I living the way I live? Why are you living the way you live? Because based on your upbringing, all the decisions you made based on your life experience, it all equaled how you are today. So if I lived your life, I would be like you. If you lived your life, you'd be like me. So if I leave my house on Shabbos in Yerushalayim and I come outside and I see uh, a chiloni guy smoking a cigarette, what would I be doing right now if I lived his life? I'd be smoking a cigarette. And what would he be doing if he lived my life? He'd be coming out in the shtimel. That's acceptance. And it has to do with the mahus of the person. Meaning I can accept that person. Then there's another circle over here, which is, what was it called? Approval. A very different thing. It's a different zach approval. Approval is, there are standards of behavior. 
You meet the standards, you get approved of. You do not meet the standards, you are not approved of. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, on this entire planet of seven billion people, of all the different communities, what community do you think of seven billion people in the world, which community has the highest standards of approval of the seven billion people on the earth? Answer, your community. The highest standards of approval, details of which, I'll tell you the truth, I, I'm, I've been learning for the last 24 years. And I'm still learning more, but I think I've finally got it. I think, mm, by the time I hit 30 years in the veld, I'll finally, maybe, understand what exactly it takes. And when approval, which is super high standards, details that are unwritten, unknown, but we kind of know them, when that blurs with acceptance, as it always does, because you will notice, ladies and gentlemen, that you only accept people you approve of. Nikuda. You only accept people you approve of. <coughs> so tell me, of the seven billion people, how many people you truly accept in the end? Let's just go to Am Yisrael, of the 14 billion Jews. How many do you accept? And the real question I'm asking is, how big a world do you live in? How big a world? I'm going to tell you a story. I taught a class in Tel Aviv once to 615, 650 left-wing secular Israelis. The only from people in the room was my wife in the front row and me standing up there in my black hat. Before I began the class, I walked up six flights of stairs because it was a deep auditorium, deep in a basement. I walked up six flights of stairs behind the stage to make sure the emergency exit worked, just in case. <laughs> this was my first line when I spoke in there. Do you know why I've always loved that the distance between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem is one hour while I drive my car? And the whole room's silent. By the way, they had no idea they were going to be hearing from a uh, Frum Jew. This was a big trick we played. My first line was, do you know why I always love that it's a one hour drive between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem? Because it gives me one hour to purify myself from the filth of this city. Before I started this class, you could hear a pin drop. After I said that, you could hear a feather drop. The whole room just went like... And people were looking at each other, did I just hear him correctly? Now you know why I want to check the emergency exit. No, just in case someone got crazy. 
And then I said, and I'll tell you something tonight, I'm still glad it's an hour drive. Because the last time I drove from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, I cried for an hour straight. Because I recently learned a distinction between acceptance and approval. And I had them blurred. And because I didn't approve of your lifestyle here in Tel Aviv, well, I also didn't accept you. And I really cried all the way to Yerushalayim, and I felt like such a hypocrite to say I'm in Kiruv when I really was just judgmental of you. And the world I lived in was so exclusive as opposed to inclusive. My world excluded you. I lived in such a little world, such a padded cell, such an isolated world that did not include my brothers and sisters of Tel Aviv. And the whole room warmed up. And I said to them, I have a challenge for you because I have a feeling that your world doesn't include people who look like me. And there are, there's a million of us from Jews out there. And what a little world you live in. And so I'm going to ask you all, if your world can include a person like me, please stand up. That was very risky of me to say. But immediately, 450 people just jumped up to their feet. And then, uh, like, I don't know, maybe they felt that, I don't know, but another 200 people then stood up as well. And it took my wife and I a half hour to leave that night because I had a line of men lined up to hug me. And my wife had a line of women lined up to hug her. And for a half hour straight, everyone just hugged us. You are my first Haredi Jew. The example I'm giving you right now, I took it away from our children, but that's an example of total strangers. But think about it. We are an Orlamim. We're a light unto the nations, yet... Don't approve, don't accept. We have to make it very clear to our children that we accept them no matter what, while still maintaining the standards of what is approvable. We have to give our children the message that they are more important to us than what the community thinks. That they are the most important thing. Now, we live in interesting times. And teenagers will test us. And you should know, the ones that test are usually the best ones. They're the most powerful ones. They're the ones who would make a difference. And it's a big test, and we have to remember acceptance and approval and make sure that we accept no matter what. Many people have gotten in touch with me to say, get me to uh, try to bring their kid back to Yiddishkeit. And I always tell them, well, okay, let's meet. And they're like, no, no, we want you to meet our kid. And they're, well, I'd like to meet you first. And they're like, no, no, just our kid. 
I said, no, we're going to meet first. And there were many kids today who are now frum back on the derech that I never met. I only trained their parents. We spoke through acceptance and approval, and we applied it, which we're not going to do now. This isn't a class in, uh, in that. Our greatest need, our greatest desire in this world is his kashras. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next two days that we're all going to be together, make the next two days about that. Start now. You will see that it is infectious. By being a person who lives his kashas, and it really connects with people. You have cracked the code on creation. You'll always, anyone you will ever meet, whether it's a person at this Shabbos or it's a stranger on the street, you have their address. And that is to connect with people really. His kashras. The part of you that's afraid to do that, it's because you don't want to get hurt. But I want you to know that the part of you that doesn't want to get hurt is about 12 years old. I think, uh, no offense, I mean, you all look great, but I think you got to look in the mirror. You're not 12. There's something amazing about people, but usually somewhere around 3 to 11, 12 years old is about all the growth, meaning that's, all, that's kind of the shtemple. And then all of us now today are like kids size large. We're all just kids size large. And we're trying to protect ourselves. I want you to know that you don't have to... Pre- is that, am I done? Is it late? I don't know. Is it time? Oh, so I'm not finished. Also, I just want to announce there's a possible use seminar in Muncie uh, starting Sunday for men at 2 p.m. after this event. 2 p.m. is, is possible for Muncie. It's men 2, to, two, two into the night. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday each night, six, 7 to 11 p.m. And there's a women's seminar in Muncie every day uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sorry for ladies who work, but, the, but I have to get back to Eretz Yisrael. I've been out of Eretz Yisrael too much lately. So the women are going to be by day, the men by night in Muncie. If you know anyone from Muncie you know, who should be there, it is a training. An ex- the experience itself is the most beautiful ever, but the, but the results afterwards are even more powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, his kashris. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.